Come set your rule and reign in our hearts again. Increase in us, we pray. Unveil why we're made. Come set our hearts ablaze with hope, like wildfire in our very souls. Holy Spirit, come invade us now. We are your church. We need your power in us. Commit himself to God. So um, we were just discussing things, and and as we talked about what God might be saying, and realizing that we come to the fullness of truth as we sit together and talk together about what Father is saying to each of us, it seemed that even in the in the heart of God there was a particular focus on the young. And I'm not just talking about teenagers now. I'm talking about the young, and. I'd say maybe that's always the case, but it seems to be a particular sense of it now. And I don't know that we've said anything about it here, but Ed Talton is is Jermaine Talton's brother, Clay Talton's brother. Um, Ed would appreciate me saying he's the older brother. (laughs) But Ed's been a great friend for a long time, and he has been able to initiate a program in the Monroe City Schools that has gotten national attention. And that program looked something like this. He was taking the students that were in detention and trying to work with them, being given a very free hand. And it wasn't, I think, about a year later that the administration came to him and, and asked him if he would put together something for not only students in detention, but troubled students, and if he would take them the first hour of every day and see if he could do with them what he had done with the students in detention. And he has put to get put this together and the, the change in these students is so significant that, it, that they actually invited him to the National Teachers Associating meeting and asked him to present what he was doing because they saw it as something that might be able to be used nationally. And what he was telling them, he, Ed's very upfront about it. He says, I am putting the principles of Christ into these kids. I, I'm not necessarily always doing it with overtly praying for them or teaching directly out of the Bible, but going there ready to say what God is saying and do what God is doing and watch it touch the lives of kids. Now, he mentioned something that it immediately caught my attention, but he he said that one of the administrators came to him and said, you know what we're learning by watching you is that it takes a village. And Ed said, I'm afraid that the truth of that statement was thrown away because of the person that wrote the book. And nobody gave it any attention because the person that wrote it was not worthy of attention. And I'm sitting there thinking, yes, and I'm one of those people because of the uh, lack of integrity in the person that wrote it. I just assumed the book was worthless. But Ed didn't talk about the book. He talked about the title and said that when the administration came to him and said that they're learning it takes a village, 
that his response is the local church can be that village. But then he said, I was convicted because I realized most local churches are not that. They want to correct the young. They want to correct the parents of the young. They want to do, they want the young to look like they looked when they were growing up and act like they acted when they were growing up. But they don't want to embrace the young and have an influence in their life. And if it's really does, if the church really can become that village, that's what we need to do. And as, as he was talking, I was sitting there with the Spirit of God just rising up in me. Why haven't we come, become the village that will band together to save this generation? You know, the, for a long time, the church growth gurus talked about giving churches health checks. And there's some validity to that, but as I look in Scripture, the only health check I find is Jesus saying, how are you doing with those who are prisoners? How are you doing with the widows and the orphans? That seems to be the mark. That, that seems to be all that Jesus had to say about whether or not his church is healthy. And I began to think about that and relate it to our generation. And, and not just prisoners as in incarceration, but how are we doing with those that are prisoners of methamphetamines? How are we doing with those that are, are, are prisoners of, of various drugs, prisoners of attitudes, prisoners of past abuse, prisoners of having been so messed up when they were young that they've never found a way out of it? How are we doing with that? And... In our nation, the widows and the orphans often look like women that thought that they had found the dream man and, and given him everything and then find out that he abandons them with children. And the, these children look like orphans because they're growing up with mom having to work or mom having to do whatever so that they can have food on the table. And the widows and the orphans look like those that have been abandoned <coughs> rather than death. You guys pray for me. One of the things that, that, that the enemy's trying to shut me down by taking my voice. And you know what? We're going to keep pushing it and believing God for healing, but realize that that's what I'm, that's what I'm coughing and praying about. Is, is, uh, I'm, I've got a lot of miles on this voice, and, and I believe God needs to do a, a rehab in there. So you guys pray with me about that. But I want to give you one of Ed's stories that, that Rafa, he didn't say this Friday, but I've, I've heard Ed talk about this several times, and it always touches my heart. He, he told us about a 12-year-old that had been sent to the Monroe City area uh, from Detroit because her father lived there, and she had become uncontrollable with the gang activity, etc., in, in Detroit. And very quickly after coming to Monroe City, she was put in Ed's first-hour class. And he said, I'm telling you, this girl was hard to love. But, but he said, we just did it because we knew it was God and we just, we just kept working on it and working on it. And, you know, after, I think it was two years, the father got so angry. And let, let me tell you something. You know why he got angry? Because he couldn't control her. I'm, let me tell you something. 
You're not here to control your kids. You're here to raise your kids. And there's a big difference. But dad got angry and he just sent her back to Detroit. Put her on a bus with her belongings and, and just sent her up there and made sure she was dropped off and back with her mother. And the mother, of course, quickly lost control again and the law got involved and, and sent her back to dad. Thank you. Uh, the school was apprehensive, but they received her back and put her back in Ed's class. As soon as she saw him, she ran to him threw her arms around him and wouldn't let go, and said to him, no one wants me, no one understands me, help me. Amen. Let that sink in a minute. Ed talks about that went against every rule of our culture. First of all, a young woman of the opposite sex hugging a at that time, probably a 47 or 8-year-old man, and just hanging on. Oh my, that's so wrong. No, it's not. It's our perverted sexual idea that's wrong. These kids need love. And it's already been proven by the secular people that the kids that are hugged, are, they do better in school, they do better in life. They do better in everything because of the adult touch when it is not a sexual adult touch. May God help us as a church to become a church that will embrace kids and that there will be nothing bad about it but letting them know that they have importance to us because many of them are crying out, nobody understands me, help me. They don't understand the help they need, but that's what they're crying out for. And we've got to become, as a church, people that, do that does that. Now, it all goes back to relationship. First of all, relationship with these kids, man, I'm telling you, it's, it's our responsibility, yes, but it's our honor. I don't know about you, but I feel so honored when a child runs to meet me and grabs me. I tell you something, you're never going to see me shove that child away. Yeah, you can haul me off if you need to, but I'm not going to shove that child away. And the thing is, we need to feel the honor that is there because of this, and, and also the challenge. You see, my challenge in dealing with children in this house is not to correct their parents. That's not my challenge. Uh, my challenge, believe me, the parents have their own struggle. My, my challenge is to help them, but not correct them. It, let's just stop there for a moment and think about this. You think about all of us that are, uh, are getting a few years, getting, as for me, getting a little long in the tooth, as they say. Uh, think about when you were a young parent. How many of you were open to people that would just face you down and say, you know what, you're going to have to take care of that. What did that make you do? Maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm just a rebellious nut. But I'll tell you what it made me do. It made me certain I wasn't going to do what they said. Absolutely certain. You know why most of the time? Because I determined I wasn't going to raise a kid like they raised. Hmm. Shouting amen now, aren't we? 
You see, these parents have their own struggle. I, I talked with a young parent just this week, and I, I, I said, you know, <laughs> it doesn't come with a blueprint. You got to work it out. You got to you got to hear God. You got to put it in your children. And, and the whole thing is, we wish we knew how, but we don't. And I'm telling you, 66 years old, been around the church for a long time, and I'll tell you, I wish I knew what to tell you about raising kids that are productive in this generation. I don't have a clue. Here's all I know. Hear God and hear what He has to say about your kid and build that in and cultivate it and allow church people around you to do the same thing. Because God somehow refuses to give us those answers that we, that, we think, that we think we should have. But our responsibility is somehow to come alongside these parents and help them to build responsible and able adults that are solid and able to function in their world. Not function in the world I was raised in, but function in this world, this culture. So... I can tell you from hard experience, most parents are not interested in it was when I was a child. Most parents are not interested in how I raised a perfect child. And I'll tell you with her sitting right here, I did not raise a perfect child. And she's way too much like me. But you know what? I really like her. Because I maintained relationship through, with her through all of these years. And I realized the marks of myself that I see in her came out of relationship, not because I tried to put them there. Ask her, she'll tell you. Yeah, she's that way. <laughs> we're to be mothers and fathers in the house. That's what we're to be. Um, fathers, if they, if they really get in their role, we're, we bring definition and often design to the life. Uh, identity to the young in the house. And sometimes that identity is brought by just accepting them as a child in the house, reaching over and pulling them over against your, your leg and giving them a brief hug and moving on. That's identity. You're important to me. You're somebody I want to know. You're somebody I like. Mothers, since I'm not a mother, I have to say this from a distance, but we're to nurture the identity that's in a child and to care for the life that's been sparked in them. Not to try to fix them. And I, let me tell you this about your adult children. You still are not to try to fix them. I, I'm getting this picture as I say it, and I know I can do this, and LaRoyce won't get mad. How do you think Leland would react if you just tried to fix him? Not very well, huh? No. Not at all. And Leland, he knows this. LaRoyce knows this. I love Leland. He's a good friend of mine, and he always will be. But I guarantee you he wouldn't react well if I went to him and said, Leland, you need to fix this. No. Out of influence, we can do some things. But out of position, we can do almost nothing. It has to do with influence and relationship. Now, I think among the children that we have here, we have to be careful that we're not trying to shut them down because visitors might be bothered. You know, visitors come and go. These kids are ours. 
They're what's important. And if visitors are bothered, there's probably somewhere down the street where the children will be shut down so that they won't be bothered. Or we say, well, people might be disturbed. You know what? These children that do their best to express worship over here, and sometimes that worship looks a lot like praying. But let me recall back in the days when you had interaction with your father and mother, although for a lot of us they're gone now, but think about the good times. If there were, some for some there wasn't, but think of the good times. When mom and dad were just happy you were their child and you were playing and having fun in their presence. For us, it was at the local swimming hole. That, that seemed to be where mom and dad was most functional. And, and they just delighted in the fact that we were like we were like ducks or beavers or whatever. We were in that water and we were swimming. We were doing everything. And they kind of delighted in that. It was fun. Sometimes these kids look like they're playing because they are. In the presence of Almighty. They're doing that. Yeah. Do they get loud? Yeah. Do they want attention? Yeah. Probably, probably so. But what are we going to do? If they're wanting attention, are we going to shut that down? Or are we going to give them attention? Because I know what it is to be shut down. Oh, you don't call any attention. You're to be seen and not heard. Shut down and shut down and shut down until you begin to think it's wrong to express anything. And I still live with it. I'm not blaming my parents. I'm the master of my own ship now. It's a a choice I make. But the thing is, it started way back then. And it made it to where I died a thousand deaths every time I was to get up and to speak to a congregation when I first started because I was to be seen and not heard. I had no public value. Yet I had this thing of God burning me to say something and to do something and to be something. How could that have been nurtured? I actually had a pastor that laughed when when I said that, that I thought I was being called into the ministry. Well, you get over that. You've just been saved. Okay. Well, I didn't get over it. And I had just been saved. And I'm still being saved. And I've found out that what I sensed was true. And he could have nurtured that. Amen. Now... Folks, I, I just believe that this is what we're titling it. This is a reestablishing of foundation. This is a thing that, that we need to look at. Now, this week I've had a very unique opportunity to be with several families. As a matter of fact, over this month I've been with several families. But in this church I've been with several families along with their children. Let me tell you something. Church doesn't make perfect kids. But it makes good kids. It makes good kids. I, man, I've been around some good kids. And I haven't been around any bad kids. I've been around some kids that might have a few behavior problems here and there, but that's between them and their parents and figuring it out. That's not my deal because it's not up to me to correct them. It might be up to me to influence them and to talk with them, but not to correct them. You know, for me, it's a privilege just to relate with them and to begin to see who they really are and not the feeling need to fix them. Mary, I don't know if your kids need fixing because I haven't analyzed them on that level. But I really like them. I really like them. We, we had this thing happen with Eva a couple of years ago. Very rarely am I roped into this, but that year I got roped into helping put up Christmas decorations. God, bear me. But anyway, <laughs> nobody could remember where these things went up here. 
and time was wasting. And here's Eva standing down there saying, I know, I know. And we're ignoring her. And she just went right on. And this goes there and this goes there. And I started listening and she knew where everything had been the previous year. We listened to her and got it done in about 20 minutes up here. It would have taken me forever to figure that out. I would have been hanging it and moving it, hanging it and moving it and saying I'll never get involved in this again and all of that stuff. But here's this little girl that just knew it. She had it. So, you know, here's part of our problems. Is we focus on the it's and the isms. And I'll, I'll uh, enlarge on that in a minute. But we focus on the it's and the isms and forget about people. And that these are little people. And we're big people. And God forbid I don't want them to be like me. I want them to be like them that God intended them to be. Because I know that they were born into this generation not by accident but with purpose. And if I try to stymie and staunch that purpose, then I will be stymieing and staunching the purpose of God. Um, we spend a lot of time building a hive, you know where all the busy little bees and buzz around the same place and run out and get a little nectar here and then come in back in and build a hive. God never intended us to live like that. He intended us to everywhere we are to be the expression of His rule and His authority and what, what He produces. And we have crystallized ourselves into specific lines of thinking that seem to be, and we seem to be unable to embrace anything different. God will make us able if we'll begin to realize it's necessary. If we'll begin to realize what is actually going on. But we've become so crystallized in the ideas of right and wrong that we only think of this when we see new believers, when we see children. We, we only think of... That's wrong. That's right. That's wrong. That's right. And that's all we think of. Now, I want to just take a look. I, I'm glad the kids went down today. I usually hate to see them go because most of the time I think they could probably get it better than the adults. But anyway, um, since I can't mention them all, I'm glad some of them went down, but I want to mention some of them. One of them that stands out to me is I've watched the process over the last two years. And this one I'm probably going to embarrass, but it's Anna. I've watched God grab her heart and start to do something in her. She didn't have to allow that to happen. But something that's happened, has happened that has made her have a missionary's heart. I don't know where that'll go. But I know God did it. You didn't set out to do that, did you, Anna? It just happened. Every time we mention going back to the reservation, Anna lights up. Now, you might say it's because some of her people are there. No, we're her people. It's some of God's people are there. And Rafa talks about Mexico, and Anna's telling Rafa, I want to go there. It's not safe there. But you still might go there if your mom and dad say yes. We'll see. But I, I see this stuff, and, and I'm not saying this to convict you, but have you taken time to get to know her and to see this? I'm telling you, here's a young lady of great value. Great value. And she's quiet enough that you'll miss her if you're not careful. And then I think of Addie. She's not so quiet. <laughs> but my goodness, I love that girl. She's got a destiny in God that we can't even see yet. She's got a mind that is so sharp. 
And can I tell off on you a little bit, Addie? I didn't even t- ask you about this. You gonna, you, will you forgive me if I do? <laughs> we were over at their house, and Rafa was teaching us all how to make a specific kind of taco. And we were joking back and forth around something, and I told Addie, you're going to need some counseling. And she said, no, I just need time with God. Yes, <laughs> that's what I want to hear. I know that that didn't come because she thought it out to impress me. That was her natural response. I just need time with God. Yes, you do. (laughs) Another one, not here, but Brody. So impressed with that little boy. Yeah, he's high energy. Yeah, he's doing this, he's doing that. But isn't that wonderful? Don't you wish you had some of that energy? I wish he could bottle that and spray it all over me. But I was... Myself and I think maybe Jeff Arp or somebody were down at the restaurant recently and and Brody came in with his dad. I didn't even see him come in, but I hear a yell and I look up and hear this little boy just outrunning his dad. Dad trying to stop him, but he's outrunning his dad. And what do he want to do? He wants to say hi. That's all. What can God do with a little evangelist like that? So what are we going to do? We're going to squelch that and say, oh no, you, you, you don't need to be up here. You get back there and sit down. No! We're going to find a way to help with that and to cause it to grow and give him more confidence. That's what we're going to do. And I think of Quinley, so, so stinking creative and so willing to express what's, what's inside her. Are we going to shut that down and tell her you're to be seen and not heard? No, we can figure out how to work with it. What did Jesus say? You suffer these little children to come to me and you forbid them not. And here's what happens. If we don't do right by these children, guess what we're saying to their parents? We're not accepting the produce of your household. And the parents then think, you're not accepting me. And away they go. Think about this. Another one I think of, and I should have asked permission on this one for sure, but Josh Sturm. He's so creative. And he's got, it's a radio program, is that what it's called? And it's amazing the points of life that he's getting across on the internet. No matter, no telling how many thousands of people he's reaching. And it looks like a cartoon. It's not, but it looks like. And he's just created this and got it out there for everybody to see. Do you know Josh well enough to know that? And I'll tell you what, he also makes a mean pizza. <laughs> you see... We only know this if we take time to not decide how they need to be fixed. I just want a relationship with them. just want to know them. I'm telling you, I don't have enough time a lot of times, but I want to know your kids. But I don't want you to put them up before me and say, they've got this, this, and this wrong. Will you pray? No, I just want to know your kids. And God will help me to help them navigate some things as I know them, but I honestly don't have a right to correct them unless I have a relationship with them. Because what I will do if I do that is I'll put a wall up between them and me, and I will have no influence in their life because 
Schools have taught them that if I do that, I'm mean. You say, well, the school shouldn't do that. It doesn't matter. That's what we live with. And we need to live with the idea that the widows and orphans among us are often uh, single-parent families and, and that. And, and the health check that God has for us is how are we doing with those people? And I just, I, I just want to know them because I found out this, that I really do have a real God indwelling me. And if I'll just get in conversation with people, things will happen. After Rafa's challenge, I just paid attention this week. I, honestly, I did not go asking God to connect me with people because I have a lot of that anyway because it's what I do. I, I just do it. But I paid attention this week. And I've been working trying to help Jermaine uh, to find the right automobile to transport his kids and for a price that, that can be navigated. And one of the guys I met was obviously rough. He had prison tattoos on his, up his neck and around. And it, no, it wasn't. He, your son told me about that, but it wasn't him. And, but he told me about it. He's very open and honest about it. I like him a lot. I wish he'd be here today. But the thing is, this guy just immediately started talking to me about his trouble. And his trouble was that he, he, said, he said, man, I, I, I suppose you used to smoke. That's first, that was the first question. I said, well, yes, I did. I said, matter of fact, I was a three-pack-a-day guy. And he said, well, I'm just one pack a day, and I'm trying to quit. But he said, man, I've tried and tried and tried. And I said, you know what? I tried to quit until I quit quitting. And he said, really? And I said, yeah. I, I just asked God to help me. And over the course of time, he let me know that I, I would be okay now, and I could quit. And I did. And he said, you know, maybe I should try that. And I said, well, maybe you should. Matter of fact... I'm pastor. You're a pastor? Yeah, I'm pastor down here at Christ Family. You'd be welcome to come be a part of us if you'd like to. We won't push you, but, you know, getting with God will help you with a lot of things. Well, I might just do that. Another place we stopped in, we just, we just stopped and were asking some really innocent questions. But I happened to know the guy's son, and I, I said, and I felt prompting from God that, how's your son? Hour and a half later, we were still hearing about the hurt and the brokenness of a father as he looked at what these methamphetamines is doing to his son. And, I, and I, instead of a thing welling up in me as he ought to just get over it, was this thing that I heard the compassion of Christ saying, tell him that I'm still on the throne. Tell him that I can deliver from that. Tell him to hold on. Tell him to pray. And we talked to him about that. And what he, we left with him saying, I pray a lot about this. Keep praying. Keep praying. Because we pray too. Because we love Him too. And you know what? I could say that because I do. Not because it was a Christianese thing to say, but I love Him and I pray for Him. And I fully expect a testimony to come out of this somewhere. Another very young lady I was talking to, and, and I just felt prompted to ask her, are you going to church anywhere? Well, no, I'm, I'm Catholic, but I'm not. Oh, you'd be welcome to visit us if you'd like. Well, I might do that. And, you know, just on and on and on and on it went all week long. Just running into people, talking to them about God. Now, I am watching the time. It's not two hours yet. <laughs> but in Psalm 11, verse 3, it says, If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? And we're living in a time that 
We have to be very careful. And I, I was talking with Rafa this morning about this message, saying I, I, I really sense the care that I need to take in moving forward with this. And it's so much on the heart of God, and it so much needs to be, um, so much needs to be handled in God's way and say what God says. But before we go very far with this, I just wanted to take a look at, at some of the wording of this verse. I know that's unusual for me, but I, I want to take a look at it because I understand what the, tra- what the translators were thinking when, when they used foundations because they were trying to take a big idea and put it into one word. <coughs> and that's usually the best they can do. But this word foundations has a... Has to do with the basis of something, that, that which uh, we build from, that solid starting place. But what the translation fails to bring out is this word is always used in sense of morality and, and politics. That if the morality of a culture and if the politics of the culture are broken up and taken apart, then it asks a question that now I can identify why it's asking, what can the righteous do? How many of you know we're surrounded with that kind of culture right now? Where the morality has been undermined and, and the politics are a mess. And we, I hear people with righteous indignation talking about mm, those cartels in Mexico. Well, what about the cartels in the United States that are not Mexican? They're politicians. Glory to God. <laughs> but... If, here, here's the basis of that, of that verse. If the ideas of right and wrong along with the way that we set forth cultural principles are in danger of being pulled down and broken, then what can the righteous do? And it immediately follows with an answer. Very often we just leave that verse standing alone, but it follows with an answer. It says, the Lord is in His holy temple and the Lord's throne is in heaven. And this is where we need to go back to a foundational ideal that yes, we have all of these issues, but the Lord is in authority. And the Lord, his, his, the door is open to His realm. And re- we've got to get this as a church that we're not praying for something out there to come here. We're praying because He's already come here and the door is open to His realm and that He lives with us and He dwells with us. We've got to start to live like that and talk like that. When we're talking with, with someone who is deeply addicted to math, we need to know that He has come and that He indwells us and He's there ready to make a difference and we're ready to talk to them through us and instead of saying, oh man, it's so hard, this, this methamphetamine is the hardest drug we've ever seen, it's immediately addictive, I so sympathize with the fact that you're going to be an addict all your life. No, we need to say, you know what, you can be delivered. And this young man that, that his dad was talking to me the other day, I fully intend to talk to him. This as soon as he gets out of jail where we can sit down, I fully intend to sit down with him and say, you know what, you can get free with this. You can get free from this. And if you want to get free, we'll help you. Why? Because God is still on His throne. God is still in authority. God still inhabits the praises of His people. He still is here. He's still among us. He's still full of grace. He's still full of truth. He's God. Um, I think we've forgotten when it says the Lord is in His holy temple. We've forgotten we don't know. We haven't recognized that we're the temple. 
Do you not know that you are the temple? <laughs> That's what Paul had to say about it. The throne is a symbol of his rule and reign. Do you not know that you're the temple? And that his presence is a symbol of the rulership that he's given you? over the authority of the enemy, over the powers of darkness. And yes, it might be a long walk. It might be a walk through addiction with somebody. It might have some terrifying time. But you rule because of Him. Because of Him. I remember stories from back in the 60s and early 70s when Dave Wilkerson was talking about how he walked through heroin addiction with so many young addicts. And the horrifying things that, that happened because of it. And, but the fact that they came out clean. It, sometimes it was three, four, thirty days. But somewhere down the road they came out clean and free. And, and as a testimony and a symbol of what God can do. And folks, God hasn't changed. It's not just for heroin. I'm telling you that we can turn this thing around. But we've got to quit empathizing with darkness. We've got to quit saying, oh man, this is the worst we've ever seen it. I don't know. I just don't know if there's any hope for these kids. Come on. He's the desire of all the ages. He's the hope of heaven and earth. He's God. And He indwells me. You see, uh, this is what's going to be a little bit. I need to be, I I want to be careful, but not too careful. But all around us we hear the negative twist to these Bible passages and like nothing we can do and, and so on and so forth. And let's consider some of the kind of thinking and talking that we do that, that locks us up to those things. Like we get all shut in. Boy, I'm, I'm messing with religious cows now, and I know it. But if you hear them moo and ask God why, but we, we get all shut in with our favorite worship songs and our favorite worship people. Enraptured because we have the opportunity to go to the right place where the right group is going to sing the right songs. And we're all caught up in that. We're not caring about the morality or the life of that group. We just care about the feeling. And we get our ideas of future events from the news media and the political crooks. And we're all wrapped up in what feels good, what sounds good, what gives us shivers. And we call it spiritual anticipation. I'm telling you, if you have your thoughts about what is to come set by Fox News or CNN, then you're wrong. What is to come is all wrapped up in the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And if I can get my thinking there then guess what? My whole way of living will change. You know, ever since it all went so bad in the, in the year before the election, I've not watched the news to any extent at all. Matter of fact, I feel very put upon when I have to watch it just to be kind. But I'm not interested. That's not the news of my kingdom, of my nation. The news of my nation is we have a king. And he has come. And He dwells among us full of grace and truth. That's my news. And, you know, if I parrot what's happening on CNN, I say, oh, would you look what's happening in the Middle East? Would you look what's going to happen in the Middle East? If that's my news, it's not His news. Because His news is He's come to His holy hill. And He's, he's empowering and authorizing a people to represent Him on the earth. 
And it doesn't always look like we think it should look. And sometimes I'm a little disappointed in what I thought and it didn't happen. But I can't allow myself to be disappointed in Him because you've got to believe something. You've got to set your heart somewhere. And I've chosen to set mine on Him. You say, well, there's not enough evidence. Don't give me the nonsense. My brother is... Without a miracle, he's not going to last very long. I was talking to him just the other day, and he had just talked to a man that was, that was a cowboy around the area that he'd been working with for a while. And the guy was saying, you know, I just can't put my faith in what I can't see, what I can't feel. And Joe said, hey, what's that air you're breathing? Can you see it? Can you feel it? What's it doing? It's giving you life. <laughs> And he said, well, the Bible says in Him we live and breathe and have our being. And he said, the guy stood there and looked at him and tears started running out of his eyes. He said, I never thought of that. I put my faith in something I can't see every day, don't I? And he said, yes, you do. But then the guy said to him, he said, it's because of guys like you that guys like me can believe. And he said, what do you mean? He said, you're going through hell on earth right now, yet you take time to tell me the truth. He said, that makes me believe there really is a God. Don't look at the results to determine whether or not you'll believe. Look at what the testimonies are. I was blind, but now I see. You see, that's the way it was with that blind man. Jesus healed him. And all the religious came around him and says, what did he do? You got to tell us what he done? He said, I don't know. I was blind, now I see. But what did he say? I don't know. I was blind, but now I see. What are you going to do now? I don't know. I was blind, but now I see. And I'm telling you, that's a lot of my answers. People say, why do you believe God? I don't know. I was blind, now I see. He changed my life. You think he didn't? You talk to people that knew me before. He changed my life. And I'm not bragging on what that guy was. And I'm not bragging on what this guy is. But I know I'm changed. Well, what are you going to do with it? I don't know. We'll get up tomorrow and see. He led me then. He'll lead me now. What's your end time theology? I don't know. I can argue it three different ways very effectively. So that tells me I don't know. <laughs> what does this mean in the prophets? I don't know. But I know that He saved me and He delivered me and He baptized me in the Holy Ghost and He sent me to represent Him on the earth. He didn't send me to be able to argue all of the points. He sent me to present Him again and to be an ambassador for Him on the earth. That's all I know. If I lay my hands on you and pray, you're going to feel something. Why? I don't know. But I know you will. If I pray that something happens, something will happen. It might not be what I think will happen, but something will happen. How do you explain that? I don't know. Well, we need to become an I don't know church. Instead of having all the answers. Man, I get so sick of hearing these national speakers that know it all. I'm looking at them thinking, that ain't going to work for you next month. You write that book and that thing will be in all the outlet malls in a year for 10 cents a piece. You got all this timeline set up and Jesus said no man knows the day or the hour. Are we living in the last of the last days? I don't know. Is he going to rapture the church out of here? I don't know. If he does, I'm good. 
If he don't, I'm good. Well, you should read the prophetic and know what's going on. I've read it. I don't know. <laughs> the reason they did it like they did it is because they didn't know. They said what they said, and they tried to illustrate it as best they could. And when they looked at it, they, they thought, man, they're going to think I'm crazy, but this is what I think it is. And you ask me, what do they say? I don't know. But this I know. Jesus met me and He changed me and He filled me and He changes other people's lives because I'm willing to put myself out there. That I know. And from there, it's all good. I have people, not anymore because I've just about stemmed the flow, but I've had people that would say, hey, there's a prophet over here. Do you want to go get a word? I say, no. Nope. Why not? Because I've got enough of the Word of God hanging over me for three lifetimes. Man, I don't need any more. When I get this fulfilled, we'll worry about that. <laughs> the I don't know church. There's an idea. IDK church. <laughs> you see, we've made everything an it or a thing. The coming of Christ has become an it. And people build their hive around that and they crystallize it in their thinking. And if you don't believe about the coming of Christ like I believe about it, then you must not be going to make it. Oh, well, what about sanctification? Well, that's an it. It's a thing. Uh, this is it. This is, this is what it is. What about the baptism of the Holy Spirit? It's an it. What about the Holy Spirit Himself? It's an it. It's none of those things. It's about life and life in God and living it. I live a life of sanctification. That's according to Scripture. And I'm running out of time, so I'm not going to go read it. Find it for yourself. But sanctification is a life that I live through Him. The, the coming of Christ, that's happened many times in my life. Oh, now we're, we're off doctrinally. No, I'm not. Sometimes I'm, I'm, I'm struggling and, and there's a coming. There, 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 there's a coming, a, a representation of His Spirit that happens. And like the Scripture says, I begin to see Him more fully. And when I see Him more fully, I realize, man, I'm like Him. I, I'm becoming like Him. And the Bible says we'll be like Him at His coming. It's not talking about a rapture. It's talking about as Jesus manifests Himself to you, as He shows Himself to you, as the Christ becomes more real in you, you'll start to realize, man, I'm not there yet, but I'm getting more like Him all the time. As I see Him, as, as I know Him, I, I realize that I'm more and more like Him. And everything can't be identifiable by my experience. It's got to be identifiable because I walk with Him and it's in my life. And it, it can't be just another level, another achievement. One scripture I am going to read is 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10. When He comes to be glorified in His saints on that day and to be marveled at among all who have believed, for our testimony to you was believed, He comes to be glorified in His saints. And on that day, on what day? On what day? It's not identified. On that day that He shows Himself to you. On that day that you find Him manifest in your life. On that day that you feel the need and you pray for somebody in the grocery store and the, and the power of God manifests. On that day! That's the day. That's the time. You say, well, you know, I, I've studied a lot of end times and I'm all about that. The end of what time? There's many ends of times in Scripture. 
What time are we talking about the end of? Which one? Which thing that God is doing are we talking about the end of? Maybe you can identify that. But let's not all group it together because it's not all grouped together in Scripture. I'm trying to tell you it's not that hard to express Christ and to have foundations in Him. And the very foundation is that He changed me. He touched my life. He, he forgave me of sin. He began helped me to go on a walk, not to be a better me, but to be all He intended me to be. And that's okay. That makes it different. Now, how do I know if I'm serving an it rather than living the life? Well, can you identify the it that you're so passionate about in years? Can you identify it in a location on the map? Have you ever studied how many different times the, the borders of nations have changed through the years on maps? That being the case, it can't be about that. We look at a map and we get all ooey-gooey because something's happening here. Well, those lines weren't there 50, 60, 100 years ago. So maybe it's not there. Maybe it's there. You know where it is? It's among His people. It's here. And that's what we need to be concerned with. That's what we need to worry about. We need to quit being so fascinated with things that we cannot understand. The disciples, on and on, they come back to Jesus and say, when are you going to restore the kingdom to us? And He would immediately turn their their eyes back to what's the Holy Spirit doing now? What's happening now? And, And when they began to ask Him, reveal it, He said, that's in Father's hand. And do you hear what He's saying? I'm the Son of God, is what He was saying, and I don't even know. That's in the hands of my Father. But what you do is you go wait until the power comes on you and then you be my witnesses. You lay down your life and begin to live my life. And then when it does happen, it'll all be good. I wish I could tell Rafa what's going to happen and what is, but I don't know. And if he tells me he knows, he and I are going to have a conversation. (laughs) But this I know. They represent Father out there on those streets day in and day out, and they see people's lives change. He was just telling me that of the immigrants that that are at the border that don't know what they're going to do, that they were able today to haul haul 20 of them into the church for breakfast. But there's 2,000 of them there. But hey, guess what? You made a difference in the life of 20. Actually, there's probably about 7,000, 8,000 there. The thing is, we just do what we can do and represent Christ as we can represent Christ because that's what we do. As long as if if I'm in Christ, if I'm seeking His voice and walking out of that, breathing forth His life, living to know Him, then it's all good. It's all good. You can't mark it by anything else except that I'm in Him. Now let me ask you a couple of questions and then I'll close it. What has it benefited the family of God to focus on a decaying, dying expression of this world culture? What has it benefited us to focus on the decay of the culture of this nation? You say, oh, you're treading on the ground that I don't like there. I've done my time and I've done it willingly. I love this nation, but I don't automatically think this nation is always going to be the expression of God to the world. Because right now it's expressing something very different than that. What I do know is His church will always express His, his culture to the world. And what, 
let's get really very real here. What have we benefited by focusing on the, on the argument between Trump and the Democratic Party? What, what have we benefited as a church from focusing on that? Nothing. Except to put up walls on people we might have reached. That's all. What, Rafa, what, what has Mexico benefited by focusing on the cartels? Nothing. Less than nothing, really. It's been a negative response. And, and always prophesying. And this is what troubles me coming out of Mexico, and not from you, Rafa, but from others. Prophesying the success of the cartels. No, 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 no. Prophesy the success of the kingdom. Say what God is saying. Say that God's authority, God's dominion will rule. Say that He's never been out of rule. Because He never has been. Nothing under the sun becomes so powerful that He can't do something to cause it to stop. What have we gained by focusing on Muslim doctrine and foretelling their growth and triumph? But on the other hand, 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, My people who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I'll hear from heaven, forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes shall be open and my ears attentive. When? When my people become teachable. When my people realize they don't have it all. When they lay aside their its and their isms and their own twisted ideas and then begin to look toward God and want to know Him and they turn from their own twisted ideas and thinking. When that happens, then I'll hear. And in the day that He hears, He will begin a healing for our land. Doesn't mean that it'll be the U.S. of A. at that time. But our land, wherever his church lives, he'll begin a healing of that land. Rafa, he'll begin a healing. It might not look like Mexico when the healing comes, but he'll begin a healing. Why? Because people were faithful and they followed and they didn't have all the answers and they weren't even able to say what the end times might look like, but they were able to say, I know this. He touched my life and He changed me. And look at your own family. How many people of your families He reached in and drawn out changed them dramatically. And He changed them because you decided to live right. Your mother decided to live right. And it became effective in the family. Why? Not because they had this great move. Not because they had great concerts and great speakers. But because one or two people decided that they had lived the life and, and be ambassadors of Christ and represent Him on the earth. And it changes everything. My Lord, we've got to get back to this. You know, we could have some great things here in Kirksville. We really could. But I don't think there's any conference or any kind of a, a concert or anything else going to change this city. But I think a few people deciding they're going to change the world they live in will change the city. Do we want to have conferences? I do. I like them. I get encouraged by them. Do we want to have concerts? I don't know. I don't because I can't hear anyway. Just a jumble of noise to me. But I'll tell you this. I want to hear the word of people that are going out and touching other people with the power of God and seeing them change. I want to see that. I want to hear that. And once that noise is heard throughout the earth, then everything will change.